Hey, I'm Ben Ramos, and I get the privilege of serving here as the senior pastor. We are a church all about the authentic power of God coupled with sound theology because God's given us his inerrant, infallible word, and in it, he calls us to be people who are filled by his Holy Spirit, people who are empowered by his Holy Spirit, and people who are led by his Holy Spirit. As a local congregation, God's called us to help people take steps in their relationship with Jesus, to see them rise from death to life and glory to glory. I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us today. I truly pray and I hope that this message would be an encouragement to you and your life, that it would help you to recognize that the mission field is all around you and that it would help you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed. But this morning, I know it's, it can be uh, difficult. I don't know what this lighting does for our people online. I don't know what this lighting does for some of us in here. But what this reminds me of is being in the dark. And that's, that's what this is. We are in the dark. And I just wanted to use this illustration to ask you a question. Do you remember ever being afraid of the dark? You guys remember? Go back to that moment, like if you can remember one of those instances of being, being afraid of the dark. And uh, maybe it was that you were at a, a very young age and you were in the garage and the garage closed and it was completely dark. Or maybe uh, you were playing hide and seek and you were actually really good at it and you found that spot that no one could actually find. And so they gave up and you're still hiding and they come in the room and turned off the lights and it was completely dark. I don't know if that gives anyone flashbacks, but we'll, we'll pray for you. Or maybe it was like the first time that your parents uh, put you to bed and they actually closed the door all the way, right? The, the dark, the dark. And um, as you were there, you were freaked out. And think about what it was that you were freaked out about, like being in the dark. Was it that you didn't know if there was something there that was going to get you? Or was it, um, when I've reflected, was it that you couldn't see the escape route? You couldn't tell where to go? right? What, what was it? And no matter what it was, you probably got to this point of someone going like, ah, right? You freaked out. You freaked out and someone came. But here, here's the thing. The good news wasn't just that someone came in that moment. It was the good news was that someone came and turned the light on. So if you can go ahead and turn those lights on. All right? So last week we talked about Whoa, hey, there was light, and there was light. Just boom. Um, yeah, yeah, as, as the light comes in, the darkness flees, right? And so we've, we've talked about how God is God with us, and now we want to talk about how God is God with us, and he came and brought a light with him, a light into, a light into the world. And so the title of the message this morning is A Light Has Dawned. So if you um, have your Bibles, I want to go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 8. And you're going to recognize that we, um, last week we jumped into the story where King Ahaz is the king over, um, over Judah. And you have these surrounding nations. If we could pull up that map, please. Um, on the bottom left hand of the map, you see Judah. And immediately to its north, you've got Israel and then Syria. And if you look over towards the right of your screen or towards the 
east, right? Never eat shredded wheat. Yep, east, that way. Um, Assyria is over in that direction. Uh, You also see the Euphrates River. And so what's taking place during this time is that we have King Ahaz is king over Judah. There's Israel and Syria, and Israel and Syria are now teaming up against um, Israel, and they're coming, and King Ahaz and the people of Israel hear about this, and they're like, ah, right, this this is not good. This, this is not good at all. This is, this is very bad news. Um, and so God sends the prophet Isaiah to come and to uh, tell them these words from God, right? Call them. Uh, he says, uh, I, I want you to ask me for a sign. Ask me for a sign. And uh, King Ahaz, because he's already put his trust somewhere else, he says, uh, this Uh, He says, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. I'm not going to put God to the test, essentially. But Isaiah gives Ahaz the sign anyways. And so this is where we are going to uh, jump into the story. Um, And as you continue to turn there, I just want to introduce this topic just a little bit more with a devotion or a little book that Timothy Keller wrote um, called Hidden Christmas. I mentioned you guys uh, last week how difficult it is for me sometimes to get into the, the Christmas spirit, right? Some people, it's really easy. For me, it's a little bit more difficult. And so I utilize things like this book and Christmas books and Christmas devotionals and stuff to get me into, uh, to get me into the season a little bit. So let me read you this from Timothy Keller. It says, Christmas is the only Christian holy day that is also a major secular holiday arguably our culture's biggest. The result is two different celebrations, each observed by millions of people at the very same time. Many Christians can't help but to notice that more and more of public festivities surrounding Christmas studiously avoid any references to its Christian origins. The background music in stores is moving from joy to the world to have a holy jolly Christmas. The holiday is promoted as a time for family and giving and for peace in the world. Christmas is a wonderful secular holiday, wrote one enthusiast at the popular website Gawker. On the other hand, non-religious people can't find, uh, can't help but to find the older meaning of Christmas keeps intruding uninvited, for instance, through the music of traditional Christmas carols. It can be irritating to have to answer a child's question, what does this music actually mean, born to give them second birth? As a Christian believer, I am glad to share the virtues of the day with the entirety of society. The secular Christmas is a festival of lights. It's a time for family gatherings and a season to generously give to those closest to us and those in greatest need. These practices are enriching to everyone. They're genuinely congruent with the Christian origins of the celebration. Because of the commercial indispensability, it's a big word, of Christmas, it will remain with us as a secular festival. My fear is, however, that its roots will become more and more hidden to the most of the population. The emphasis on light in the darkness comes from the Christian belief that the world's hope comes from outside of it. The giving of gifts is a natural response to Jesus's stupendous act 
of self-giving when he laid aside his glory and was born into the human race. The concern for the needy recalls that the Son of God was born not into an aristocratic family, but into a poor one. The Lord of the universe identified with the least and the most excluded of the human race. These are powerful themes, but every one of them is a two-edged sword. Jesus comes as the light because we are too spiritually blind to find our own way. Jesus became mortal and died because we are too morally ruined to be pardoned any other way. Jesus gave himself to us, and so we must give ourselves wholly to him. We are therefore not our own, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Christmas, like God himself, is both more wondrous and more threatening than we imagined. And so it is that we'll continue on with this story this morning, a light has dawned, a light that has come from outside of this world, has come into this world to bring us light. So as we turn to Isaiah chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Meher Shalal Hashbaz. If you're looking for baby names, this one is up for grabs. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah, the priest of Zechariah, the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Syria. So Meher Shalal Hashbaz actually means the spoil speeds and the prey hastens. The spoil speeds and the prey hastens. So you might want to just consider that as you would consider naming a, a baby that. But essentially, here's what is being said. You remember that sign that we saw in the last chapter, that sign of Emmanuel, God with us. This would be a long-term sign of God coming in to help, God coming in to move and bring that provision and meet that need. Well, Meher Shalal Hashbaz means that this is going to come immediately. It's going to come right here, right now. There will be a help right here, right now. I'm going to bring a restoration to you. And I, I love that about God, how there is a future hope and there's a right here hope. There's a future sign and a right here sign, right here, right now. I, I just love being in relationship with God where he continues to confirm that. Verse five, the Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloah that flow gently. And just, just consider this. So he's talking about the, the people of Judah there, and they have refused the waters of Shiloah. What in the world does that mean? Well, if we could pull up that uh, picture of the pool real quick for me. There it is. You can see this is uh, Jerusalem and uh, moving uh, from what in the picture looks like north to south-ish, moving up to down is the Gihon Spring. And this would bring uh, 
what the people would need, this, this water source, all the way through the city. Hezekiah, who would come as king after, um, in, in the future here, from what we are reading, would actually build a tunnel to protect this spring. But this spring would filter all the way down to the bottom of the picture there, to the pool of Siloam. You guys remember that from the New Testament at all? The pool of Siloam. So that was the place where uh, Jesus encounters a blind man and uh, he gets down and he spits on some dirt and he turns it into mud and he puts it on the guy's eyes and it says, I want you to go to Siloam, the pool of Siloam and wash it out. And he's healed of his blindness. Right? And then he also says, and I actually just want to turn to this real quick, because in the festivals um, within these times that the Jewish people would celebrate in, they would actually go down to this pool of Siloam, and they would get water, and they would use it for cleansing and ritual purification and stuff like that. And in uh, John 7, verse 37... Jesus is speaking about this water here at one of these festivals. And it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, right? This, our need for provision, our need for God to move is going to be through this spirit who is working through us, just as it is through that stream that would run through the city. He's right, he's right there. He's right there with us. And it says in verse six, back to Isaiah here, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently. In other words, God is saying, I've been providing for you. I've I've had my hand in it this whole time, just as like Kaya was sharing this morning. I've been there, but you won't turn to me. I've been there, but you keep looking elsewhere. You're going through it, but you're not saying, God, show me what to do in this, in this way, in, in this aspect of my life, in this aspect of my life, right? We tend to like section off our life and say, all right, my, my Christian life is right here in church, and then sometimes it trickles over a little bit into Sunday afternoon, but then NFL is on. And so we've, right. And then, and then Monday comes, right. And then, and then Tuesday comes and then we swing back around and eventually get to this, this place. And our, our, the way that we look for our provision continues to look towards other things. The way that we look towards what we need in our life continues to look towards all of these other, other things. And this is what God is saying about the people of Judah. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently, and they rejoice over Rezin and the sons of Ramalia. In other words, we've put our hope and our dependence and our rejoicing that something else has provided for me. And I, I wonder how much that happens in our life today, Right? Hey, look what this provided for me. We'll get a little bit more practical here in a moment, but just chew on it for a minute. Let it simmer. Bring out the flavors. Verse seven, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river. Now, when we talk about the river here, what river are we talking about? Whoa, okay, you guys are already there. I was talking about like here, like Oh, Snake River. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I was going to help bring everyone along there, but you guys went there already. I, I mean, way to go, way to go. Yeah, so the river in that region would be, in the, would be the Euphrates River, and on that map we saw that was where? 
to the, to the east where the Assyrians are. And so it's bringing this picture together of what God is saying that he's going to do. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise up over the channels and go over all its banks and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. Its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Again, prophesying, looking forward to God with us, to Jesus coming in the flesh, and this whole area where he would live would be overflowed by this Assyrian power. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. And how often is that a reminder for us, right? Don't look like the people around you. You're not supposed to look. We, we get in this place of feeling bad because we don't look like everyone else. We don't look like everyone else in the workplace. Our lives, our lives look different. And what the enemy wants to do is to make you feel, feel bad about that. Be like, oh, gosh, I don't look different. I kind of stand out. That's the point. That's the point. You're called to be the salt of the earth. You're called to be a light, right? You're, you're called to look different. Your life is called to look different. So don't walk in the way of these people. Verse 12, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Again, prophesying how people would receive the Messiah prophesying about how people would react to Jesus as he came and unrolled the scroll and declared who he declared who he was it says that in verse 15 that many shall stumble they shall fall and be broken they shall be snared and taken bind up the testimony seal the teaching among my disciples verse 17 someone may want to highlight this this may stick out to some of us some of us may need to hear it i will wait for the lord I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. I will hope in him. Trusting God involves not rushing ahead of him to solve our problems in our own time, in our own way, in our own resources, but waiting for him to reveal to us how he wants to do it in God's timing, in God's ways. I will hope in him. I will, I will trust, I will trust in him. Verse 18, behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, because many of us will hear this type of call, many of us hear this type of invitation, go inquire of the mediums. 
and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Go inquire of these other ways, these um, improved ways of figuring out how to be at peace in your life, of how to um, have everything come together in your life, have everything just right. There's one way to do that, friends, and that's Jesus. So when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. I feel like that should be like from Les Mis or something. Like, anyways, someone got that. I completely lost my place there. That's incredible. To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to his word is because they have no dawn. It's because they're living in the dark. It's because they don't see what is going on. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. When they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king. Guys, try and, try and uh, pull some ties into reality today in this life. What this is talking about is this, this darkness that weighs on people. This darkness that's just sitting on people and they have this hunger and they, it's like something is missing. Constantly, it's like something, something's missing, something's missing. And uh, I'm gonna try and fill it with this. I'm gonna try and fill it with this. I'm gonna try and fill it with this. And when they're hungry, they will be enraged and they speak contemptuously against their king and their God. I, I don't know, that seems like really familiar to me. Just constant complaining about the way things are. And they'll turn their faces upward and they'll look down to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom and anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And so they just carry this, this darkness. I mean, they keep looking towards the president to make something better, towards their peace. They keep looking for the vaccine to fix it all. Where, where's your hope? Where's your trust in this season? Is it, in, is it in Jesus? Is it in Jesus? There's so much, so much there. And I don't know. I just feel like as we look at this story of a people that continues to turn their backs on God, uh, I was having this conversation with our five-year-old, Zadok, recently. And he said, he said something to me. He's like, Daddy, that's not fair. You want to talk about fair? Let's talk about fair. Look at me in the face right here. <laughs> not funny. Let's talk about fair. And I, I keep thinking about like this type of, this type of thing. The people of God continue to turn their backs on God. And what the fair thing would be seemingly, to me, would be for God to be like, all right, deuces, I'm going over here. I'm going to find me a new people. But God's faithful. God's faithful to his promises. And so he continues to pursue Judah. And that's where we find ourselves in, in chapter 9. The people of Judah are living out of this darkness. And it says... 
But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he was made glorious in the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness, maybe just ask ourselves this question real quick. Do we feel like we're walking around in darkness? Because the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. A light has dawned, my friends. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And if you are looking to go a little bit deeper this week, write down Judges 6 and 7 and look into that day of Midian because that's the story of Gideon where it portrays God as a freedom fighter. God would be a freedom fighter, that God would bring that victory, that victory to us. Verse five, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, here it is. So often we read this verse without context. So I thought I'd bring in just a little bit of context here this morning. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It's funny because we keep looking. I, I just, I was just sitting with this message all, all this week. I'm like, we keep looking all of these places for peace. We keep looking all of these places for the solutions. And he's right here, baby. He's right here. It's, it's right there. Hmm. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteous for this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And as we look at this text, it is important from an exegetical standpoint um, that we, as we're studying the Bible, we recognize that this is written to a specific people. It is written to the people of Israel, to the people of Judah during this time. And so they are looking forward to these promises like, yes, one day this is going to come. And we have the unique privilege of standing on the other side of that promise and, and looking back and saying, yes, this is exciting. Look what God has done. But we also recognize the kingdom and how the kingdom of God functions and how when Jesus came, he brought in the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is here. It's here right now, but the fullness is yet to come, right? And so we are in a process of it right now. And so we can kind of identify with looking forward to this promise at the second coming of Jesus. And we can also look back and say, yes, I'm so glad and praise God that this light has indeed dawned. Um, I want to bring us just a couple of observations about this, about this light, this light that has dawned. And the first is this, that a light has dawned causes God to either be a sanctuary or a stumbling block. 
And I want to just ask us to evaluate that in our own lives this morning. Does this light coming, does Jesus entering into this world, does this present to you as a stumbling block, something to trip over? Or does it become a, a sanctuary? Right? We, see that, we see that in verse 14 of Isaiah 8, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. What this does, what the Christmas story does, what Christmas does is it causes us to recognize that there's a choice to be made. By a light dawning, there is a choice to be made. And here's, here's what I can do. I can, and we can do, we can talk all about what we know God to do, right? I've, I've, seen, I've seen God um, open eyesight. Like people come in with glasses and leave without them. They're able to see. I've, I've seen God restore hearing. I've seen God uh, remove uh, bad dreams um, from people, nightmares that they're having. I've seen God straighten, uh, straighten spines. I've, I've seen God restore muscles and ligaments. I've seen legs grown out. I've, 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 I've seen demons flee. I've seen demons come back because they were invited back and they came back more powerful. I've seen them go again. And I've seen people restored from that. I've seen angels and I've seen demons, I, I, right? All, all of this stuff. I can tell you how real this stuff actually is, but we've got to get, get to a place in our own lives of recognizing that this is real, that Jesus is real. And here's the, here's the invitation. It's to ask God to help you get to that place. Ask God to bring you to the place of recognizing, okay, he's real and that impacts everything that I do. That impacts the entirety of my life. No more sections. Someone say, no more sections. No more God section and then all of the other sections. Right. We've got a choice, a choice to be made. Just like Tim Keller said, Christmas, like God himself, is both more wondrous and more threatening than we could imagine. And uh, this Christmas, maybe just use that as an opportunity to be sharing with people. Like, wow, how scandalous is Christmas? Right? Just to give you some, some ammunition as you're having conversations with people, right? Because we, we, this gospel has, has got to leave these four walls. They've got to leave this Facebook feed. They, they've, we've got to get this good message out to the people in our lives. A light is dawned, causes God to either be a sanctuary or a stumbling block. And number two, it establishes long lasting and full deliverance through a child. This, it brings so much hope to me and so much joy uh, to me that it's not just like a one-time thing, but God's here with us constantly. He's walking with us through it. And I look at that verse in Isaiah 9, 6. And I see all of the incredible things about this. Like, if I don't know what to do, if I don't know how to do it, if I don't know where to go, I've got a wonderful counselor. That's pretty neat. If I'm not able to do something, if I can't do it in my own strength, um, if I can't make something happen, I've got a mighty God. I've 
God, a God who's not just going to be here right here right now, but again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is my everlasting father. And when I'm struggling through the anxieties of life, the stresses of life, and things are chaotic around me or the atmosphere is just chaotic, well, he's the prince of peace. This is Jesus who is right here with us. This is the message of the season. Lori, if you'd go ahead and come up, we'll move towards a close. As we uh, began, I want to share just some final thoughts from Tim Keller. It says, one of the first indications of the Christmas season is the appearance of lights. Is that true? Lights on the trees, candles in the windows, radiance everywhere. Everything seems to be wrapped in millions and millions of stars. Just, this is appropriate because December 25th follows the darkest time of the year in the Mediterranean world and in Europe, where Christmas celebrations took shape. But the lights are not just decorative, they are symbolic. No matter what you want to do in a room, you have to first turn on the light or you can't see to do anything else. Christmas contains many spiritual truths, but it will be hard to grasp the others unless we first grasp this one. That is, that the world is a dark place. We will never find our way or see reality unless Jesus is our light. How is the world dark? In the Bible, the word darkness refers to both evil and ignorance. It means first that the world is filled with evil and untold suffering. Look at what was happening at the time of the birth of Jesus. Violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, refugees fleeing oppression, families ripped apart, the bottomless grief. Sounds exactly like today. The other way our world is in the dark is that no one knows enough to cure the evil and the suffering in it. Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, is a famous Christmas text. It is the end of Isaiah 8, however, that explains why we need that light from God. We see people consulting mediums and magicians instead of God. What is going on here? Well, they're looking toward the earth and to human resources to fix the world. They are looking to their experts, their mystics, their scholars for solutions. Yes, they say we are in the darkness, but, we, uh, but that we can overcome it ourselves. People make the claim today. Some look more to the state. Some look more to the market. Everyone looks to technology. Yet they share the identical assumption. Things are dark, but we believe we can end that darkness with intellect and innovation. Can we? Ultimately, Christmas is the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. It doesn't say, cheer up, Charlie. If we all pull together, we can make this world a better place. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance. But it supports no illusions that we can defeat them ourselves. Christianity does not agree 
with the optimistic thinkers who say, we can fix things if we try hard enough, nor does it agree with the pessimists who only see a dystopian and terribly, uh, entirely terrible future. The message of Christianity is instead, things are really bad and we can't heal or save them ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. The Christmas message is that on those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. Notice that it doesn't say from the world a light has sprung, but upon the world a light has dawned. It has come from outside. There is a light outside of the world, and Jesus brought that light to save. Indeed, he is the light. A light has dawned. A savior has come. Deliverance is upon his people. God is here, right here, right now. Jesus is our king who brings light to the darkness. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us. If you have been blessed by Rise Church, be sure to follow us and share it on your social media. You can subscribe to a podcast. And if you haven't had a chance to give yet, you can do so at risechurchid.org or send a text message with a cash amount to the number 84321. And remember that the mission field is all around you, so go in the power of Jesus and bring that transformation for his glory.